Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. There we are. Go on, finish your lunch. Why? Because it's good. Best in town, I reckon. No, not best. Why you are nice to me? Rumor has it I'm a nice man, sport. You help me. I suppose so. Put like that. Those men were bothering you, I didn't like it, and it didn't look much like you did either. You needed a hand. Men don't always behave well towards young women traveling by themselves. You are English. Ah, that must explain it. (laughs) (laughs) You have a nice laugh. I don't have any sinister motives, you know. You don't want to sleep with me? Well, I wouldn't say that. Not to be strictly accurate, but I'm not going to force myself on you. Only buy me lunch? Only buy you lunch, hmm? I run away. Where? I have a job with family in Firenze. Governess, you say that? Governess, nanny, yes. Signora is too busy with lovers to care about children. But Signor has lots of time for governess. It was not right. Tuesday night, I stick a fork in his hand, take some money, here I am. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. The police are after me, maybe. I have no money now. I'll lend you some. No. No, I'd like to. You're strange. Say it yourself, sport. English. <laughs> yeah. Let's finish this. Get another bottle if we fancy it. I live in the next village. I bought a house on a hill. Very picturesque. Might have been a mistake. Damn hot up there. You have a wife? I've had a few. None active. I'm writing a book, or trying, a novel. Long-standing itch, needed scratching. Bit obvious, really. That's what news hounds do once we're put out to grass. (laughs) If you think the police are after you, you can stay at my house for a bit, if you want it. All above board, own room, all that. It's a big place, if you want. I'd be glad of the company. Sorry about that. Everything I have is in this bag. I like this. I want nothing more. You don't give me nothing, okay? Okay. Fair enough, sport. (laughs) We called it the fall. We talked about before the fall or after it. The fall was the moment when Bill Hayden was exposed as a Russian mole at the very heart of the circus, run by Carla of Moscow Center. Everything the service had done for the past 20 years was blown. Every scrap of intelligence, every agent was suspect. A bloody mess, you might say. It was George Smiley who exposed Hayden. I helped. Lakin of the Cabinet Office asked Smiley to stay on and help clear up the mess. You'd think he'd be grateful. You have a very limited brief, George. Mopping up, getting things shipshape, that kind of thing. And of course, a very limited budget. Strictly for management issues. I understand that, Oliver. So, how bad is it? Peter? All nine Soviet and East European networks went cold within a day of Hayden's arrest. Radio links stopped dead. Courier lines dried up. All blown, then? Oh, I don't accept the Moscow Centre is invincibly efficient, but uh, we should anticipate the worst. More tea, Oliver? No, thanks. That photograph, George... 
It's Carla. Ah, I wondered. So that's him. It began life as a passport photograph. It's the only one we have. Frosty little cove. Isn't it a little macabre to hang his picture above your desk? The victorious enemy gloating down at you? Oh, Bill Hayden's dead, you see. You shouldn't think in terms of Carla. You should refer to Moscow Centre. It's safer to stay with the institutions. We don't want this to seem like a personal vendetta. It isn't personal, is it, George? I don't see that we have any choice but to scrap everything and start again. My, you are the root and branch man all of a sudden. If we close down our houses around the world, the houses Carla certainly knows about, well, that sends him a strong message, doesn't it? That he's won. Which is rather what I'd like him to think. It might give us a little time, a little leeway. So who can we trust? Who's on your new team, George? Myself and Gwilym here, Connie Sachs. I thought she'd been retired. She was, by Bill Hayden. Connie knows more about Moscow than anyone alive, so Bill got rid of her. I've asked her to come back. Doesn't she drink? (laughs) (laughs) If we disqualified everyone who drank occasionally, Oliver, there'd be no service at all. I suppose not. Nor any government come to that. I shall want Fawn, of course. Mm, I remember him, your young thug. And Dr Salis. Who? Our chief China watcher, affectionately known as the Mad Jesuit. He's a notable Orientalist. All right. Who else? That's it. There are only five people you trust? Only five I trust completely. But how can you produce intelligence with five people and hardly any resources? By looking backwards. George, the idea is to move forwards. We'll explore every back alley the circus possesses. We'll expose how and when Hayden lay bare our secrets to the Soviets. In order to... Our premise is quite straightforward. Everything Hayden did against the circus was not only deliberate, it was directed by Carla. If we can trace what Carla briefed Hayden to find out... We'll know the gaps in Moscow Centre's knowledge. And when we know what Carla ordered Hayden to suppress, we'll discover the secrets Moscow didn't want revealed. It's called taking back bearings. We go through every file Bill Hayden ever looked at and find out what's missing. Then we trace it backwards. Surprising doors of opportunity will open. If you say so. All right. How's Anne, by the way? I forgot to ask. Anne is well, thank you. Very bonny. Very bonny. It was what Smiley always said of his wife, no matter where she was, no matter with whom. Of her frequent liaisons, the one which had caused Smiley the most visible pain had been with Bill Hayden. Lately, though, they seemed to have put all that behind them. Anne was back at their little Chelsea house. I thought George was happy about it. But then he was already telling me less than he used to. That was very nice, Anne. Thank you. Yes, bad. Pass your plate. Would you like to finish the bottle? What I'd like, Anne, is for you to move out. Permanently, I mean. Oh. There's no immediate rush. There's a little bedroom behind my office at the circus. I'll move in there. You can have as long as you need to make alternative plans. Thought we were rather making a go of it this time. Yes, I know you thought that. But I don't think I can continue. I can't keep waiting anymore. For what? For the next time we're not making a go of it. It's very wearing, Anne, waiting to be hurt. You're not the one who leaves, George. I'm the one who leaves. You have been, yes. I've always come back. Yes. Do you want a divorce? We can discuss that another evening. I'm sorry if I've sprung this on you. Yes, you have, rather. 
Bill told me something once. I don't want to know. It's something Carla said about you. He called me your last illusion. The last illusion of the illusionless man. I should be getting back now. Leaving me won't make Carla easier to catch, you know. Good night, Anne. So George moved into the circus, and we all knew why, and we all avoided mentioning it. The process of taking back bearings began in earnest. Our gang of five beavered away for ridiculous hours on the fifth floor, and in all those weeks, months even, Jerry Westerby wasn't even a twinkle in anyone's operational eye. Jerry? I'm here. Go back to sleep, it's all right. What are you doing? Watching the fireflies. Oh. What's that noise? Frogs. Eating too many fireflies, I expect. <laughs> <laughs> you look pretty when you laugh. Why was your door locked? Are you afraid of me? I'm a bit cautious, I suppose. I wasn't expecting you to come calling. You never have before. You seem pleased to see me. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Why tonight? I feel like it. Why do they call you the schoolboy? Do they? Who? In the village. That's Thrones in the post office. She called me the schoolboy's whore. To your face? No, not her. But I hear. She warned me to. Everyone thinks we sleep together since I come here. People assume. People are stupid. Hmm. So? schoolboy? No clue. Because I'm English. Some people think all Englishmen went to public school. Did you? Yes, actually. Well, then, you're rich. Not really. Daddy was a lord, but he lost all his money. Owned and ran one of the great English newspapers till they forced him out. That's why I became a news hound. I don't know this word. A uh, journalist. Oh. For the family comic. That paper. They made me redundant. Paid me off. That's how I bought this house. I was out east, mostly. Singapore, Hong Kong. Hong Kong's where I first saw fireflies. Don't lock your door anymore. Gwilym. Naughty Peter here so late. Why aren't you at home with your lady flautist combing out her long blonde hair? Hello, Connie. I'm afraid my lady flautist found another hairdresser. 
she left you? <laughs> well, all the more lovely boys for me, then. Is George in? Not to be disturbed. Oh, I think you'll have to, Peter. I've got one, you see. Got one? A lovely juicy back bearing. Something beastly Bill Hayden took great pains to cover up. There's a Moscow Centre gold seam getting secret funds into the open air. It's quite a paper trail, Connie. <sighs> the cash payments began when, exactly? Uh, three years ago, June 72. Money starts in Moscow, loops the loop all over the shop and ends up in Laos in Benchan at the Bank de Lendoshin. According to the index, Con, London Station did send a search request about this to Vincian. Uh, before beastly Bill Hayden had time to stamp on it. And Sam Collins replied. Yes, yes, and who did lovely Sam report to? Beastly Bill. But where's the paperwork? Vanished. So, who can tell us what lovely Sam told Beastly Bill? Only Sam himself. If he's still in the land of the living. He runs a casino off Grosvenor Square these days. Bill sacked him when he sacked all of us. Well, maybe lovely Sam can be trusted. Trusted just a tiny bit. What do you think? Very hungry mood prevails in this house of yours, George. Felt it the moment I walked in. What can I do for you? Well, it's nothing, really. A filing discrepancy. Uh -huh. Something that happened when you were in Laos for us. Oh? All will be revealed to you in due season, you have my word. Someone left a card index on the bus, have they? Something like that. A couple of years ago, when you were in Vientiane, a search request came to you from here in London concerning certain money drafts going into the Bank de l'Andochine from Paris. I don't suppose it rings any bells. Oh, yes. I was pretty cross about it, actually. On the last Friday of every month, a telex money order arrived from Paris to the credit of a Monsieur Delassoux. Payable on presentation of his passport. Bank sent out the advice. Delassoux called first thing Monday morning, drew out the money in cash, stuffed it in a briefcase and walked out with it. How much? It started small, but grew quickly. 25,000 US in the end. A month? Goodness. Did you find out who Delassieux was? A second secretary at the Soviet Embassy, known to all and sundry as Commercial Boris. So, do I fit the record, or do I deviate? It's the detail I'm enjoying, Sam. I had Boris followed. Lace curtain job, no shaking the tree. You went straight to another bank, paid the whole lot across the counter into another account. And, of course, you found out the name of this other account? Of course. A Mickey Mouse aviation company called Indo Charter. Known to you? Well, Vientiane's not exactly your giant metropolis. Yeah, I knew Indo Charter. A couple of clapped-out planes, a dumb blonde in the front office, one silent Chinese in the back, and a wildcat Mexican pilot known as Tiny Ricardo, on account of his considerable height. Also known to you? Everyone knew Tiny Ricardo. Mad as a March hare. Uh, one of the ex-Air America clowns, dumped by the cousins once the war in Laos was over. Now working for himself, wherever he could. You followed the trail, of course. Just as you would, George. And? It turned out Indochata was an overseas Chinese company with links to lots of other companies, mainly Chu Chow. Ah. Oh. Dr. Sally says the Chu Chow are the very worst. He's not wrong. The people apart. You can't get among them unless you're one of them. Where did the trail end? Mm, furthest I got, though the link was tenuous, was a blue-chip Hong Kong trading house. China Air Sea. Chu Chow owned. But the Chu Chow would never have trusted Ricardo with anything more than petty cash. My guess is Ricardo just flew the cash wherever it suited someone's very Chinese purpose. 
You told London about this? Mm. Figured they'd be interested. But Bill Hayden scrubbed the case. Stamped on it. Said it was a Yank parish now. Ricardo had flown for them and he was on their books. We weren't to touch it. I see. That picture. Carla. Not much of a likeness, I'm afraid, but the best we can do as yet. You've got some personal thing about him, haven't you? Having been ordered to drop your investigation, Sam, did you? George. George, I'm a loyal soldier. You know that. So? So, I kept an eye out. As soon as I got my hands off telegram from Bill, the money stopped coming, stopped dead. And commercial Boris went home to Moscow. Was he due to? Well, he'd done three years. They usually do more. Mm, especially the hoods. And Ricardo? Died. Crashed his plane up on the Thai border. The boys put it down to an overload of heroin. That seems convenient. Not to Ricardo, presumably. I'll get you to jot down all the dates for me. You mentioned a girl, Sam, at Indo Charter, a dumb blonde in the front office. Was it chivalry that made you gloss over her so quickly? <laughs> My old mother used to tell me, don't make a gift of your assets. You get very few in life. There's a game going on, isn't there? That club of mine practically runs itself these days. I'm getting bored with it, if I'm honest. And a man needs an occupation. I've no resources, Sam. I can barely feed the mouths I already have. Well, still, you might think about it while you're checking out my story. The girl, Sam. Elizabeth Worthington. Lizzie. About 27. British. Married, but no information on the husband. Maiden name unknown. Ricardo's common-law wife, 1972 to 1973. Previous occupations, nightclub hostess, whiskey saleswoman, high-class tart. Call me if she shows up, eh? I might be able to help. Lizzie Worthington didn't turn up. Nothing turned up. The four of us, Smiley, Connie, Dr. Salis and I, spent days in the archive up to our armpits in paper... Nowhere had we come across such a systematic and wholesale brushing over of the traces. It's the back-bearing of all time. That it is, Doc, that it is. But sure as boots, we'll get the filthy beast. Finally, Connie found a second carbon someone had missed. An authorization to destroy the files, signed by Bill Hayden. Risk of compromising delicate American operation? My eye. There was a prim little graduate called Molly Meakin, a probationer cutting her milk teeth in registry. Smiley encouraged her to make friends with her opposite number at the American Embassy, do a little discreet probing. Fortunately, discretion came naturally to Molly Meakin. A few weeks later, she handed us a lengthy computer printout. It's a hands-off notice. Bill told Sam not to investigate Indo Charter because it's the Americans and told the Americans not to investigate it because it's ours. Oh, Bill. Oh, you wicked, lovely man. Talk about pointing everyone in the wrong direction. Molly Meakin's done well. I think our next step should be to find out more precisely what happened to the money once it left Vientiane. At last, we were on Carla's trail. Whatever this was, Bill had gone to a lot of effort to cover it up. A new sense of purpose took hold, with Connie leading the way. We cut swathes through heaps of files that had lain neglected. We revised, conferred, drew charts and diagrams, had migraines, argued, and played ping-pong. Until one glorious evening... Smiley. Connie's home. We can stop borrowing. We've traced the gold seam all the way through. The money ends up in Hong Kong. 
It's good of you, Peter, this. There were no duty cars available, and I do so to test driving. Lakin insisted we meet at his house. No problem. When will you move back to Bywater Street? It's widely known, is it, my marital situation? Not widely, I don't think. Is Anne still at the house? Yes. That must be difficult. I found myself in Bywater Street on Tuesday evening. It was the most convenient shortcut from A to B, or so I told myself. It was dusk, cocktail hour. The curtains were still open. Anne was sitting at her desk, dealing with correspondence, I suppose. It's usually what she does at that time. There was Sibelius on the gramophone. I watched her for several minutes. Then someone else pulled the curtains closed. Someone else? A man, I don't know who. Doesn't really matter, does it? I walked back to the circus. I mention this only because you already know about it. Do I? Fawn was following me. On your orders, Peter? I'd like to make sure you're safe. Very thoughtful. I suppose I shouldn't object. We won't talk about this again. I have been rather secretive. I don't want to pry. About what Connie has found, I mean. You must join Lakin and me for supper. It's time you knew what we were dealing with. A large sum of Russian money is heading secretly every month into a numbered account in Hong Kong. Who is numbered account? We don't know, but we do know the bank. To obtain further corroboration, I would need to put in an agent. You've no money and no resources. I have some money. But not for that purpose. Top us up, would you, Gwilym? Yes, of course. It could be argued, I suppose, that it is up to you, George, to define what is chargeable under your mandate. May I have that in writing? No. May I have your authority to take whatever steps are needed to corroborate the information? Nope. But you won't block me. I know nothing of your methods and I'm not required to, so it is hardly my province to dictate your behaviour. Oh, it's my head on the block, not yours. I understand that. <clears throat> Who will you put in? Who's the lucky field man? <clears throat> the strons are from the post office, came. Telegramma. Mm, for me? The On Gerald Westerby. Read it to me. What is On? Honourable. It's what you get called if your father's title isn't hereditary. <laughs> Honourable Jerry, yes. <laughs> Just read it, eh? Regret to inform you, your guard... Guardian? I see. Guardian. Guardian dangerously ill. Please advise travel plans. Right. Ah. You must go to England. Yes. Yes, I must. Now? Afraid so, sport. Doomsville, eh? Will you be long? I don't know. Possibly. Yes. Will you come back? I don't know. Come here. It's too hot. Maybe it's time. You know? I'm happy. Time you found yourself a young bull instead of wearing out an old one. You're not old. 
I'm happy. You know how it is. Pitch the old tent, stay a little while, move on. I don't want to go. I don't want you to. No lies. You promise. It's an order, you see. Whistle goes, the lads rally, end of argument. Sorry. I thought you were the one. Come here. You must pack. I suppose so. Will you drive me to the bus? Guardian, they had told him all those years ago. If the word guardian is used, you hot-footed back to London pronto. And that's exactly what the Honourable Jerry Westerby, newspaper man and former occasional, did. He liked being back in London. He enjoyed strolling through South Kensington. He enjoyed his conversation, however brief, with his estranged teenage daughter. And there was another treat in store. Once George had made a few discreet phone calls, Jerry found himself returning to the former family newspaper and the office from which his father had once presided over his crumbling empire. Now the office of the features editor, one Harold Stubbs. Stubbsy, as I live and breathe. Stubbsy, pride of the profession. Thanks for the contract, old man. Much appreciated. Can't keep away, can I? As of next weekend, you're our man in Hong Kong. Excellent. Perfect. But before we get to that... You seem to be fretting, Stubbsy. Saigon Christmas three years ago. Yes, I was there. You gave a party. Fellowship and good cheer in the bureau. Very probably. Oh, and according to your expenses claim, Jerry. One of the guests you claimed for was Smoothie Smallwood. Life and soul of the party, old Smoothie. I don't doubt it. Except it turns out Smoothie was life and soul of the party in Phnom Penh, when he was claiming for his own Christmas bash. Look, matey, everyone screws this comic, you included, so pop it up the old back passage, eh? That's my advice. Best place for that one. It's not a comic, it's a rag. A comic's a colour supplement. Comic to me, sport always was, always will be. Said the same to the chairman when he rang me. And you're the chairman's choice. Mm. Go on, sign the bloody thing. You get the Sunday and the daily, wars to tit shows. No pension, expenses at the meanest possible level, and rest assured most of your deathless prose will be spiked on arrival. Well, go on, sign. Pen, old chap. Lovely doing business with you, Stubbsy. Welcome aboard, Jerry. Chief's ready for you. Don't ask about his wife. Thanks for the tip. George, it's Jerry. George, hello. Hello, Jerry. How is Luca? Luca was great. How did he know where to find me? I heard about your romantic adventure. Oh, just a flutter, nothing to write home about. Pretty little thing. Hardly anything of her, like making love to a butterfly. Nice. <laughs> All over now. We're not necessarily in competition with affection, Jerry. We simply like to know where it lies. Oh, nothing to worry about there. Haven't found the one yet. Keep thinking I have, but... Got a bit of a thing for damsels in distress, but they don't always want rescuing. And your novel, how will that fare? I'd hate to think we'd scared away your muse. I don't think I'd forgive myself. No problem there, either. It's finished? Well, you know. <laughs> Anne and I went to Looker once. Eleven, twelve years ago, it must be. We visited the Banya, I remember. Uh. It was the fashionable cure. Lord alone knows what we were curing. I thought I was done for, George. On the shelf for good. I thought, well... 
Bill's blown me sky high. Blew everyone else, so why not me? Telegram took the wind right out of my sails. Bill never got round to blowing the occasionals. They were filed in such a way that he had no natural access. It's not that he didn't think you were important enough. I can never be. How do things go with stubs at the paper? Uh, no problem. And your game and so on? You're, well, prepared? You have the will? Sure, old sport. A lot of people haven't these days. A lot of people see doubt as a legitimate philosophical posture. They think of themselves as in the middle when, of course, they're nowhere. No battle was ever won by spectators, was it? We're lucky. Our present war began in 1917 with the Bolshevik Revolution, and it hasn't changed yet. If you say so, George. I read somewhere... It was an American, I remember, an historian, I expect. Anyway, he wrote of generations that are born into debtors' prisons and spend their lives buying their way to freedom. I think ours is such a generation, don't you? I still feel strongly that I owe... I've always been grateful to this service that it gave me a chance to pay back. Do you feel like that? I don't think we should be afraid of... devoting ourselves. Is that old-fashioned of me? Sport, you're the owl, not me. <laughs> I don't need to think deep thoughts. Point me and I'll march. Forgive me, Jerry. Let's start winding the clock, shall we? You'll fly to Hong Kong on Saturday. There are several of your old journalist friends still out there. I expect you'll be greeted with open arms. Only by those I owe money to sport. Oh, do you need a further advance? It's a joke. Of course, yes. We found you a flat on North Point. Who's my contact out there? An Australian journalist, an old hand in the East. Not Craw. Bloody Bill Craw? Yes. Old Craw's been one of ours all these years. Bloody hell! <laughs> Bill Craw had finally done what no one in the Hong Kong club ever believed he'd do, retired, left the paper behind him and the club, and settled in the new territories. It might as well have been Alaska. None of the old crowd would drive that far out, no matter how drunk they were, which was just how Craw liked it. Well, your eminence, your capacity for sinking whiskey is impressively unaltered. In the genes, sport. Hollow legs, the whole family. You sure you've no Antipodean blood? English through and through, pips call the lot. Come on, move And that, I regret to inform your grace, is our Mr. Frost. A charmer, as you see. Makes you proud to be British, if you say so. Well, a man had best get about his business. The things we do for love, eh? Go get him, cowboy. A fortnight later, on a Saturday afternoon, Jerry Westerby sauntered through the banking district in a crumpled linen suit. The banking halls closed at 12. After that, any business was strictly upstairs only. Do not enter when the light is on, it says, Frosty. Stuff me sideways, this isn't news. But the light is not on, Sport. The light is very much off. What are you doing here, you disgusting aristocrat? <laughs> Didn't think you'd make it to work today, not after last night's hijinks, eh? Jinx don't come higher. <laughs> How did you get in here? Hmm? I suppose you flashed your honourable. This isn't a cat house, you know. This is a respectable bank. More or less. Bloody Mary, do you? 
Bloody Mary would slip down grateful, sport. I'll say one thing about you blue bloods. You know the places to go. Drop you in the middle of Salisbury Plain, you find a cat house in 30 seconds flat. My virgin sensitive nature took yet another grave jolt last night. Those girls, wicked they were. Shocking. Oh dear, oh dear. What were their names? Seven and twenty-four. Seven and twenty-four. What poetry. What a memory. You know, Newsham sport worse than wives, Newshands are when it comes to memories. Hey, Jerry, old man, step away from the desk, eh? Just checking if you've got any appointments today, but it looks like you're free as a bird, which suits me just fine. How's the missus? Still ailing nicely, thanks. Yeah. Ring the hospital this morning, did you? Are you kidding? I wasn't coherent till eleven. Couldn't have rung her, she'd have smelt my breath down the line. Just leave off about the missus, eh? Why have you got a riot stick in your office? Security. Put it down. Shot, sir. Straight to the boundary. Look, stop mucking about. This is my place of work. Well, that's why I'm here, Frosty. I want to open an account. And from what you told me last night, you haven't the resources to open a piggy bank. Well, I didn't mean we'd open my account exactly, sport. I meant someone else's. You won't get past me to the alarm. Your secretary's gone for the day. There's nobody left on this floor. I'm four inches taller than you, and I've got a riot stick in my hand. Oh, no. Oh, Jerry. A trust account. Lodged in your incorruptible hands. Sharpish. And you a lord. Here's the deal. Listen carefully, right? It's a stick and carrot job. If you don't play, the comic will blow the whistle on you. Front page mugshot banner headlines. Hong Kong, the cesspit of corruption and Frosty the slavering monster. Would you buy a second-hand trust account from this man? Jerry, We'd tell them how you play round-eye musical beds at the Young Bankers Club, just the way you told it to me. And how till recently you maintained a wicked love nest over on Kowloon's side, only it went sour on you because she wanted more bread. Before they ran all that, of course, they'd check it out with your chairman and maybe your missus too, if she's well enough. You're sweating, Frosty. Jerry. That's the bad news. The good news is, you give me what I'm after. There's 500 US in your hot little hand, compliments of Grub Street. No one any the wiser and frosty for chairman. So why not lie back and enjoy it, sport? Like you did last night. Which I've got the photos to prove, by the way. Account number 442. Why that one? Crime and corruption, sport. Grub Street names the guilty men. You get it out of the strong room. I take a few shots with the miniature camera I have about my person. You're kidding. I rather hoped you'd realise by now that I wasn't. Nothing personal, sport. Let's get moving, shall we? Once he left the bank, Jerry spent three hours laying a trail around the island to make sure he wasn't followed. The circus trains as well, you have to give him that. He got to Craw's place about nine and gave him the films. Then he sat on the veranda with a bottle of scotch while Craw went into his makeshift darkroom. Craw, you old lizard. Miss Hart. What are you doing in there? What the hell goes on? You're drunk. You're slow. They have come out, haven't they? Indeed, Your Grace. Every frame is a bold and disturbing masterpiece. Account 442 is registered to one Drake Coe. Oh, George, hasn't Jerry done as proud? Now, uh, Coe, forenamed Drake, 
Other names are known. Born Shanghai, 1925. Awarded the OBE in 1965 for social and charitable service to the colony. Uh, occupation chairman and managing director of China Air Sea Limited Hong Kong. China Air Sea? The company that owns Indochart, according uh, to Sam Connie. Yes, Connie. Everything that was originally paid through Vientiane has found its way into account 442, down to the last cent. As soon as the Vientiane arrangement ended, Moscow sent a switch to an alternative route. There's not a single month missed. Carla never does anything without a fallback. Well, he's a professional darling like you. Not like me. Since the payment started in 72, the balance has built up to around half a million US. With compound interest, that's rising sharply. And, to date, not a penny has been drawn. What's the point of a half-million-dollar gold seam if the money's not used when it reaches the other end? It's a lock-away account. But who's it locked away for? Who's the beneficiary? We don't know. But whoever can be worth so much? Carla doesn't pay out money like that. Pennies he pays. Such a mean prig, he thinks his agents should work for him for nothing. Half a million dollars for one little mole. Well, I never heard of such a thing. (laughs) Carla's little mole must be a big fish. Oh, very good, Peter. A big fish in Carla's pay. The threat of Russian spies at the very centre of Hong Kong. It's odd that one has no sense of shock. I suppose after Bill Hayden, we've all become rather unshockable. But still... Heard from Uncle George lately. Yes, it's well done. And hold your water. We're in mothballs while your story is checked out on high. Only I thought I'd do a bit of checking, sport, on our famous Mr. Coe. Now listen to me, sport. You slap your hand over it and keep it there. Oh, Put in so... some mileage for the comic and get some spare copy tucked under your belt which you can chuck at Brother Stubbs when the next crisis comes. Come on, crawl. We're talking about Drake Coe, the bloody man's practically public property. All the more reason. You hear me? All right, sport. Keep your drawers on. Or just strangle yourself with them, eh? As a child, Drake Coe was taken in by the missions in Shanghai. A Baptist, probably. Drake's a mission name, obviously enough, not his original Chu Chow one. Married, uh, one son, Nelson... Died 1968. Oh, such patriotic English names. His hobbies are horse racing, sailing and jade. Who's aunt? He also runs a string of horses, having a very successful season at Happy Valley at the moment, especially with one horse, name of Lucky Nelson. He named a horse after his dead son. Yes, I thought that bit creepy. Well, that's just your western eye. He's uh, honouring the dead. He came to Hong Kong in 1951, two years after the communist takeover in China. He was 26. He travelled by fishing junk. Smuggled himself in? Uh, no, there were no immigration restrictions back then. Things were pretty grim in Shanghai. Anyone with any guts got out. Yes, but to go by junk... The Chu Chow are a seafaring people. His people. He, he was safer then. After Ko reached Hong Kong, he may have been involved in smuggling goods back into China. There are also rumoured links to prostitution, drug trafficking and extortion. The grand tradition. Later, as a mature student, Drake studied law in London at Gray's Inn. Apparently unsuccessfully, he was never called to the bar. He holds 20-odd directorships in Hong Kong, and now, of course, he's a respectable citizen who dines with the governor. And they don't even lock up the silverware. And he has a house on Headland Road and a 60-foot ocean-going cruiser. The Admiral Nelson. Consistent little blighter, isn't he? (sighs) There will have to be a meeting. I thought... At that dinner, Lagan gave us the nod. Oh, we're far beyond that now. 
The whole tribe of government departments want to put in their sixpenneth. This is going to cost money, Peter. Far more than the management fund could possibly support. So Georgie must go a-begging. Very humbly. Cap in hand. In Hong Kong, Craw was keeping an eye on Jerry Westerby. Not, perhaps, as closely as he should have been. All Craw had to do was check the papers and he'd have seen that the favourite to win the four o'clock at Happy Valley was a horse called Lucky Nelson, owned by one Drake Coe. Jerry always checked the papers and now Jerry, like one of his father's foxhounds, had a scent in his nostrils. I say, sport of these your goons. Do the decent, will you? Will you just... My jacket's getting creased to blazes. Who are you? Me? The Honourable Jerry Westerby, sport. Son of the late lamented newspaper legend known throughout this land as Big Sam. Now, who are you? I am Tio, Mr. Cole's assistant. Oh. You are truly the son of Big Sam. I am indeed, Mr. Chu. You want to talk to Mr. Cole? Interview for the paper after his big win, if it's convenient, Mr. Chu. I bring you over. Come. Roger. Uh, You've been with Mr. Cole a long time. Long time. We ran away from Japanese together in war. This way, keep close. You hurry, no. I'm Mr. Cole. This Westby, Big Sam's son, from paper. Westby? Your father had a lot of horses. He did. A lot of slow horses. <laughs> you can say that again. Bought a lot of bookies, a lot of houses, I'm afraid. I read your paper when I was in London at Gray's Inn. Oh, yes. Know why I like it, Mr. Westerby? The more papers there are which are printing pretty girls in preference to politics today, the more chance we get of a damn sight better world, Mr. Westerby. <laughs> What's your formula for winning, Mr. Coe? Hard work, no politics, plenty sleep. Are you a lot richer than you were ten minutes ago? I was pretty rich ten minutes ago. You may tell your paper also. I am a great admirer of British way of life. Ah. You're a lucky man, Mr. Coe. Is that why you call your horse Lucky Nelson? No comment. Okay, fair, Mr. Coe. The world's full of people who dream of being as rich as you are. Give them a clue, won't you? What makes Nelson lucky? Mind your own damn business, eh? Well, uh, interview finished now. Oh, Mr. Coe? Interview finished, Westby. Uh, are you going to win next time round, Mr. You better Coe? ask the horse, Mr. Westby. Yeah! You ask horse, I think! I'm sure you realise, George, it's a lot to swallow. Mm. You suspect a prominent Chinese Hong Kong citizen of being a Russian spy. That's the nub? He is known to receive large amounts of Russian money from a secret fund devoted to financing penetration agents. But how good is your knowledge? Hasn't been too good in the past, has it? The colonial office would need far more corroboration. It is to obtain corroboration that we're asking for rights, permissions and funding. Mr Coe is a pillar of Hong Kong society, George. He even has an honour. What do we give him, the K? An OBE. No, poor chap. It's hard to see how he could be a less suitable subject for harassment by a British service or recruitment by a Russian one. In my world, we call that good cover. Mm. 
You've already put an agent in, we understand, though this is not why you were granted funding. So, Georgie's been a naughty boy. But has he thrown his money down the drain, or has he made a cheap killing? Hmm? We must be guided by what Mr Coe does, not by what he gets. It's not Coe's money, after all. It's in a trust until the beneficiary comes along. And the beneficiary, whoever he is, could be anywhere. Timbuktu, or Aswan, or... Or Moscow, Peter. Sorry? Thank you, that point is clear. What do you think the money's for? It's because we don't know that we're asking permission to find out. Oh, oh, daisy Noisy bugger. There I was, having a lovely dream. Oh, you weren't asleep. You let me come up the path. You never drop your guard, you old reptile. True, Your Grace. In case drunken news hands come stumbling up my veranda steps. Uh, what's up? I've been to the races. Four grand up, old son. But I don't care about that. I've got a scoop. A bloody great big one. Yeah. Our friend Co has surfaced in person. You were told You'll not... want to hear this, really. No, I really won't. It was after the races had closed. I was on my way out of Happy Valley when I spotted our friend Drakey Boy, all on his lonesome, without that tame thug of his, on his way somewhere, carrying a bunch of flowers. Now tell me you didn't follow him. He didn't see me. Give me credit. Well, give me strength. He made a beeline for the old colonial cemetery, to a grave. A statue of a small boy in Victorian knickerbockers and an Eton collar. Couldn't have been more English. Who's grave? His son's. Nelson Coe, in loving memory. He laid the blooms on the grave and stood quiet for a bit, thinking his son for his horse's win, I reckon. Quite brought a tear to the eye. Oh, Drake Coe misses his dead son? Oh, yeah, that's quite a scoop, Jerry. London will wet them. <laughs> Drake Coe. A chilled child, poor boy with a little Chinese wife who becomes a jockey club steward with an OBE. A water gypsy who gives his son a Baptist burial and an English effigy. A gang boss who builds hospitals, plays croquet, runs an opium airline, drives around in a Rolls Royce and has Russian gold stashed in a trust account. <laughs> I can't help liking him. You've been doing some homework, I see. A question here, a dip into the comics archive there. Anyway... I followed Co out of the cemetery. I thought he'd be looking for a taxi, but a sports car pulled up. What make? Jag, soft top, E-type. You couldn't have missed it if you wanted to. The screech of tyres turned every head on the pavement. The driver was a woman. A hell of a lot of women, if you want my opinion, sport. Blonde, very demonstrative, and very un-Chinese. Definitely friends, at least. Round eye, I take it? Of course. Who is she, Bill? See what you can find out, eh, sport? I am sensitive, of course, to the mood of the meeting, so... If you don't grant us the funds, if we don't investigate Mr Coe and his Russian finance further, what do we do with the raw intelligence? What the hell does that mean? Drake Coe has financial interests all over Southeast Asia. 
He also controls several enterprises which have political overtones that would place them within the American sphere of influence. The American? I would have to have this committee's instruction, your written instruction, not to pass this intelligence to the cousins. Otherwise, I would be ignoring the existing agreements. You're putting a pistol to our heads. I have a standing instruction from this committee to repair our relationship with the Americans, to get us back to the top table. The Foreign Office's own words, as I recall, Enderby. Let me be clear as to what I'm asking for. We need rights and permissions to operate in Southeast Asia, deniably. We need to conduct certain domestic inquiries into coast connections here in England, and we are asking approval to run our own agents in Hong Kong. Any existing sources to be retrospectively legitimised in writing. You're asking for a free hand, Smiley. For the circus to be operational again like it was under Hayden. Like it was before Hayden, actually. It is, of course, entirely this committee's decision. Damn hot in here. What's happened to the extractors? It's the parts. We put in for them months ago. Perhaps we could send for refreshment. Tea. Yes, splendid. Very well. We'll have tea. You and Peter could get back to the circus now, I think, George. We'll try not to keep you long. Every Sunday, Bill Craw met up with Phoebe Wayfarer, one of what he called his little ships who sometimes bring home tiny treasures. Phoebe was a feature writer for one of the colony rags. Her father, long dead, had been a clerk from Dorking, her mother a Hong Kong tart. Phoebe was proud of being even a bit British. Maybe that's what opium does for you. That Sunday, as usual, Craw took her out for a drink, or six. Decor! Oh, Bill, my favourite millionaire. A lamb. Against Draco, no bad word at all, please. The word is he's got around our mistress. Blonde party, said to be quite a dish. Ugh, oh, where do they get played? The airline bill, don't you know that? Hostesses moonlighting on their stopover, 500 US a night. But Lisa, not like that. She has most positive and refining effect on Draco. Lisa? She extremely aristocratic. You only have to look at her bone structure. Her parent on fabulous estate in the Bahamas. A crowd, is she? Don't be. I'll tell you ridiculous. Lisa Worth is an aristocratic English girl. Oh, Phoebe, sweetheart. No English girl, high-born, fine-boned or knock-kneed can possibly be named Lisa unless there's a crowd at work somewhere. Hmm. Elizabeth, that's what she'll be. Lizzie, Liz, Liza, not Lisa, dear. Lizzie. Don't you tell me how to pronounce anything. Her name is Lisa, pronounced Lisa and spelled L-I-E-S-E. I know this for sure because I asked her and I wrote it down. Our friend, is she? Don't be silly. Lisa is far too grand to be my friend. How did she and Draco hook up? At her reception. She met him, loved him, but was determined not to get embroiled. She went back to uh, Vientiane. Vientiane? But her love for Cole brought her back here. He's given her the most beautiful apartment. Oh, I love a good romantic story. <laughs> Have another drink, Phoebe. Must you pace, Peter? Can't just sit here. Lakin will telephone as soon as he can. It's been 24 hours. Yes. Do you think I handled it badly? 
It is, of course, entirely this committee's decision. You think I appeared insincere? You're not usually so reticent about your opinions. You've changed since the fall. I think we all have. You've changed a lot. In what way? Doesn't matter. Clearly it does. You communicate less, even less. It makes it difficult sometimes. Do you think I'm past it? What will you do if I am? Honestly? Of course. I'll get down with the ship. Now, that would be a waste. Tell you what. You and I will open a chicken farm. We'll persuade Molly Meakin to come and keep the account. If the committee turns us down... My position would become untenable. Yes, when it does, will you at least go down fighting? You think I'm not fighting? Get that, would you, Peter? Marvellous, George. Congratulations. I thought he was over the hill and tumbling down the other side, Connie. He got everything we wanted, I swear. Every bloody thing. The man's a genius. Of course he is, you disloyal child. Such grip. I adore grip. It's my favourite human quality. George has it in space. Oh, come now. Lakin was on our side all along. Well, he didn't show it. We must celebrate. Oh, we've far more to celebrate than that, Peter Kim. Connie? Craw phoned while you were with the Lakins. We found a girl. Uh, no, no, not just a girl. The girl. We found Lizzie Worthington. Now Lisa Worth. She's dropping syllables faster than she dropped her knickers. Jerry Westerby found her, the old devil. She's in Hong Kong. Better than that, darling. She's in Coe's bed. Which girl? Oh, keep up, young Peter. The blonde girl from Indochata, tiny Ricardo's erstwhile mistress. Oh, to be young and blonde and easy. Oh, She's the clue. Trace her, photograph her, search her room, turn her inside out. She's at the heart of this. Connie can feel it in her poor old bones. And get on to crawl. Softly, softly, catchy monkey, George. We don't want anything upsetting this particular apple cart. Crawl? Yes, Jerry. Life smiles upon your eminence. Oh, yes, sport. Anything left in that bottle? Well, see for yourself. man could rot in this bloody climate. You know the thing about the East? Hmm? Well, we colonise them. We corrupt them. We exploit them. We bomb their cities, ignore their culture and confound them with the infinite variety of our religious sects. We are hideous in their eyes and our odour offends them. And we're too thick to even notice. Hmm. Yet even when we've done our worst, and more than our worst, they just smile at us. That old Asian smile. Hmm. Very profound, I'm sure. Yeah. What did London say again? What about? The blonde piece. Oh, sit on our hands. Await instructions. Right. Right. Only she's bloody lovely looking, you know. Lovely. Oh, do shut up, you sad bugger. Hate to think of Coe's hands all over a girl like that. Yeah. Hate to think of that. 
In part one of The Honourable Schoolboy by John le Carré, George Smiley was played by Simon Russell Beale and Jerry Westerby by Hugh Bonneville. Peter Gwillem was Richard Delane, Connie Sachs, Maggie Steed, Dr Salis, Bruce Alexander, Oliver Lakin, Anthony Carf, and Craw, Philip Quast. Sam Collins was played by Nicholas Bolton, Anne Smiley by Anna Chancellor, Enderby, James Lawrenson, Drake Coe, David Yip, Tew, Paul Courtney Hugh, The Italian Girl and Phoebe, Tessa Nicholson, Frost, Piers Weiner, and Stubbs and Wilbraham by Nigel Hastings. The Honourable Schoolboy was dramatised by Sean McKenna, and the director was Mark Beebe. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.